Well, I am excited to be with Jeff Hancock from International Justice Mission. And Jeff, already you get the award for the best background of any podcast that I've done. So thank you for that. But it's nice to start um, out at a high. <laughs> start out at a high. You're the director of church mobilization for IJM, International Justice Mission. And you have an MDiv from Gordon Conwell. In your former life, you were a pastor. You live in Atlanta. Uh, but much like me, you read that first book uh, out of the shoots for IJM. And I confess to you that when I read it, I was on a beach in Mexico crying and wondering how I didn't know about these uh, sex slavery situations and human trafficking situations. And I was just stunned. I remember going to dinner with my wife that night saying, what is going on? But people are living in poverty and uh, uniquely vulnerable because the local justice systems are not equipped to protect them. And so they're at risk of trafficking and slavery and violence against women and children and police abuse of power. Talk to us about what I think uh, most business leaders in uh, Europe, in North America are not familiar with because we, we cannot treat our team members, our employees unjustly, unfairly. We cannot violate the law or we find ourselves fined and or in jail, but that's not how it is around the rest of the world. So help us understand. Yeah, no, thank you, Greg. And I, I would say you're not the only one who read that book and, and was uh, spending some time in some inopportune places in tears. I know that was definitely the effect on me. Um, Though I would say the other side of it, and, and I'm, I know we're going to get to this side of IJM's work, but the other side of it was that there's good news that resides even in the really uncovering the truth about violence and injustice in our world. Um, and that is that we actually get to do something about it, which is pretty exciting. Um, but I had that same experience of it sort of changing uh, my life. And I think, I think like you, and I think many of us, uh, the, the issue of slavery I think it feels like some sort of relic from history. Um, I remember the first time really encountering uh, knowledge of, of slavery. I remember it in school and you see those diagrams of the boats of, of human beings really, you know, sort of stacked like cordwood. They are products and being so shocked and thinking, wow, if I lived then, I hope I would have been the kind of person who would have stood and done something. Um, but a part of the reality that drives IJM's mission is that we really do live in those times. Um, that while the great sort of emancipation and, and uh, abolitionist movements of the US and the UK uh, largely eradicated slavery in those places, in many ways, slavery really sort of crept into the dark uh, corners uh, around the world uh, where the laws weren't enforced. Um, and that really is the issue. It, around the world um, where slavery exists, especially where it exists in scale, um, the, the, the truth is, is that slavery does exist everywhere. It's on every continent. It's right here in the U.S. Um, and it, it needs to be and is being dealt with. Um, where IJM's work is, is really where the justice system maybe isn't as equipped 
to, to be able to, to partner uh, in the further eradication of that. Um, but just to give us, I, I think it's probably helpful just to pull back a little bit and give us a little scale um, to, to realize that when we think about the issue of slavery, uh, the Walk Free Foundation is kind of the best estimates right now um, are about 50 million people uh, enslaved around the world. And somewhere around half of those uh, are a part of labor slavery, um, which is a lot of what we're going to talk about today. Wow, I, I, I would love to do a survey of uh, North American uh, business leaders and say, how many did you think were enslaved? And I, I right. feel like we get numbers like a million. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, the scale of it, and even even thinking about it in business terms, again, sort of best estimates are just in terms of dollars, that labor slavery is about $150 billion a year industry, um, which, wow. of course, you, you put that next to the sort of profit scale of other major corporations, and you see um, the, the massive uh, footprint, I suppose, of, of slavery around the world. Well, we, we have a rule of law, as I alluded to in the United States anyway, and in, in Canada, in Mexico, uh, in Europe, in most civilized countries, but there is no rule of law in uh, some countries. And even if there is a rule of law, it's being skirted. So uh, I, I feel like there's, we can say the word uh, slavery and mm -hmm. people think Oh, you know, that's too bad because somebody doesn't make as much money as they should. Mm. Uh, or, oh, that's too bad because somebody had to work for a month to pay off a debt. Right. But let's put it in shoe leather in real yeah. terms because the real story is absolutely mind boggling and horrific. So, what happens right. when? Yeah. Uh, a person in a particular country, Pakistan or Nepal, or I don't know what, what country, but whatever country, sure. somebody has, uh, 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 so somebody's in trouble right. with a factory owner, and then what happens? Right, right. So, and it is, it's a great way to, to sort of set the stage in many ways, because it is an underlying vulnerability of communities in poverty. Um, they are, and I am going to just pull back one, one, one moment just to say that, you know, you reference a couple of times that sort of the, um, the rule of law, the, the, the experience for, for many of us, maybe most of us who are going to be listening to this, who live under the protection of an effective, not a perfect, but a functioning justice system, right? Um, but uh, again, estimates show us that about 5 billion people today in the world live outside of the protection of the law. They live in what's called the justice gap. And so, so that's f 5 billion, just so yeah. people know, out of now 8, eight billion right. people so in the world. So the, the majority, majority of the world. world. Exactly, exactly. And so these are places where, um, and it's it's hard to paint it in broad strokes, but but if you do look at that, you know, broadly speaking, these are places where, simply put, the, the local justice either either isn't or is unable to uh, enforce the the law. Uh, they are uh, unable to protect victims and 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 um, surround the victims of violence and injustice in a in a um, 
victim-centered way that, that actually brings restoration and, and unable to sort of break these cycles of violence. And, you know, one of the, one of the phrases that we often use in terms of describing our work is everyday violence. And, and when we're saying that, we really are just distinguishing it between the kinds of violence like the violence of war. Um, which is which is a whole different category, and, and thankfully, and the world needs to keep obviously working on eradicating that as well. But this is, in many ways, a sort of, of hidden violence that communities in poverty experience every day. And what we've found is that it actually creates a sort of cap or a ceiling on the effectiveness of other aid work and other wonderful efforts that go into these communities. So you know, many of the organizations and efforts that I, I suspect many listeners of this will already be supporting uh, of reaching into communities and trying to bring a, a rebuilding and an upbuilding of those communities. What we find is that the violence of trafficking, of violence against women and children, sexual violence, all of these things really put a cap on the ability of those other efforts to ever bring sustainable change, to break those cycles of violence and the cycles of poverty. What we're really trying to do then is address that underlying reality of violence, because we believe that in repairing that justice system, we actually strengthen the efforts of everything else. And so it is that that, that very real thing. If, if we can raise the effectiveness of that, then everyone uh, is raised up. And that's what we're really after. Um, mm. So just to drill down a little bit then, um, and this probably is, is obvious from what we've already said, but one of the things that we do find is that these crimes of violence and specifically forced labor slavery flourish where the rule of law does not. Um, it is crystal clear that these are um, especially in terms of trafficking, these are these are crimes of of profit that business owners, you know, they they choose to enslave a workforce because it makes them in some places just marginally more profit. And so we work in places where, um, like our, our presence in in Ghana, where we work on a, a lake where there are tens of thousands of young children enslaved in a fishing industry where their workday may work look like 14, 16, 18 hours a day of dangerous, hard labor. Um, I know that one of the, the, the I, th I guess the benefits are one of the things that we are really celebrating at this stage of IJM's life is that we've been around about 26 years. And so we've actually got to see then um, a fuller cycle of restoration and a little bit of more of a picture of the, the full story of, of some of the people that we have had the privilege of being a part of, of their rescue. And so one of the young men, and again, I think this can just sort of drive it down a little bit, um, was a young man named Kumar, uh, who uh, was, uh, in, as he was growing up, uh, again, experiencing much of the poverty that many of these communities are. Um, he was very close to his, uh, his dad in particular. When he was young, he lost his parents. And that part of his story of something happening that sort of moved him over the, the line from vulnerable to now victimized. Um, and what happened with Kumar is that a local business owner illegally held the very minor debt of another relative against Kumar and, and brought him in and forced him uh, to work in his, his uh, brick kiln. And so uh, that 
kind of idea, that sort of debt slavery, we, we do see in many of the offices where we work. And, and as you mentioned before, this isn't simply, hey, I borrowed $50 from you and now I'm going to mow your lawn a few times and, and now going to pay it off. The reality is, is that they are never able to pay it off. As soon as they come in and then, you know, when it's time for their pay, they're charged for the food and for the housing and, and on and on and on at these exorbitant rates. Uh, we've actually had the experience of rescuing third generation slaves, meaning that their grandparents borrowed the money. Um, and and that, that cycle, again, of abuse and victimization. Um, Kumar was one of those who went into uh, an existence of, of violence and, and forced sort of backbreaking labor um, that in many ways, I think as we talk to the people who come out of that kind of existence, it is everything you think of in your mind as slavery, that's what it is. Uh, again and again, we find that um, the, the people who have come out of that existence uh, were either themselves directly uh, assaulted physically, sexually, or at the very least witnessed that many times over. That threat of physical and sexual violence is used to keep the, the workers uh, in line um, and, and keeps them from going out, um, even if they were able to, and, and trying to find help or, or rescue. Um, Kumar uh, was one that uh, IJM uh, investigators were able to identify. We went in with um, our partners on the ground in India, our police partners, and facilitated that rescue. Um, Kumar was rescued, was restored, and began, uh, well, I should say began a long process of restoration. Uh, the people who come out of these kinds of experiences, as you'd expect, um, they need a long period of aftercare. Um, and so that process started for Kumar. Um, and, and again, this is what I was alluding to at the beginning with the, with the length of our time is that Kumar actually began to really develop this passion for learning in school. And he, he got passionate in particular about social work. And so he began to study social work. He then sort of circled back and now actually leads uh, some of our own efforts out of our IJM Bangalore office. Um, so this what could have been yet another cycle of violence and victimization and sort of despair in a way for this young man uh, was broken along the way. And then the resilience of, of Kumar and the people surrounding him um, have really led them to this sort of cycle where now Kumar, who was once a slave, is now facilitating the rescue of other slaves. Um, and, and we see this sort of extraordinary um, cycle of, of restoration and rescue start to happen again and again. You know, we globally have a network of, of global survivors um, who are helping to lead our efforts, helping to become advocates, but also helping to, to really also shape uh, what we're doing in some of these places. What I think I just heard you say, what, what I know I just heard you say is so... Um, uh, un, unimaginable. You're mm -hmm. basically saying that for a small debt right. uh, that I might have, mm -hmm. my son and his grandson, his son and his son will be enslaved for three generations. Right. It's definitely, I mean, many times it's something as small as um, we've witnessed many times where somebody uh, may want to pay a dowry 
uh, for their child being married and they don't have the money and they borrow the equivalent of somewhere between 35 and 50 US dollars. Um, and that very small debt uh, becomes years and years and years of backbreaking break, back labor um, mm. for that person. Mm. And uh, just to keep putting uh, reality checks right. to this, somebody uh, might say, well, you know, work in a brick kiln, right? Rice factory, rock quarry can't be the worst thing in the world, but that's not true. So what, what does a day look like for these people? Right. Well, it's, it's another one that I think does sort of stagger the ima imagination. I know that um, when I've had the opportunity to talk with some of my colleagues there, some of the, the places where, again, this is not a eight hour workday with a, a few breaks and a lunch break. Um, these are often, again, 16, 18, 20 hours a day in places. Um, I, we've had the experience of people uh, working. Um, their child became sick. They aren't allowed to leave to take the child uh, to met for medical care. Um, in one of the in one of the cases, uh, the child actually a young child about I think she was about three or four um, died. Uh, the worker was still not allowed to take a break and had to work the rest of that day with the body of their child beside them. Um, and so there is this reality for these people that not only and and again it's not just the the labor that that is enough i mean that is slavery they are forced to do this and the power of that owner business owner is being abused to take away the good things that were meant for that worker right because a part of what i think we all believe is that we we inherently as as human beings deserve the the right and fair reward of our labor that's being stolen from these people by forcing them to work and the other reality as i said is that so often physical sexual violence fear intimidation is used again and again and again and so you know i mean people know that you don't escape because they know for a fact that the person who did last year in one of the cases that we worked with had their hands amputated by the factory owner. And so it, it's it's not simply a slighter, longer workday or just unfair working conditions. It goes well beyond that discussion, which is important in and of itself, but this is a whole other discussion. I'm sure IJM has thought about all these corollaries, but my mind goes to what we're trying to do in Convene which is we're saying to business leaders, um, you need to do great work. Mm. You need to do excellent work. You need to be profitable. You can't have a business right. that glorifies God if you have no profit. It's called bankrupt and out of business. <laughs> right. so, so you have to do excellent work. You have to love people and value people and bring sure. dignity and worth to people uh, because that's what Jesus did when he was on earth. He taught us to bring value and dignity to uh, people groups and people who were marginalized and people who were hopeless and people who were dying and he, he brought dignity and value and worth to people and work you know the bible says do all to the glory of god that includes work that just doesn't mean sunday right and yet as we in convene teach people to bring glory and honor to god through the monday to friday work day there is it's very hard to imagine 
how a worker can reflect any anything good when they're being their wife is being raped they're in the third generation of slavery they're working 20 hour days they probably have medical issues and work is this oppressive terrible awful thing so it is aber aberrant and abhorrent to god right yes yes yeah and you know one of the things that you all talk about that Kameen talks about is, 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 is using um, our lives, our businesses to cause the flourishing of, yeah. uh, of, of those who are in our circle. I think that is exactly what we're talking about because when we, you know, I know that um, the words justice and injustice have become sort of fraught in our divisive conversation. We're not, ha- that's not the same conversation. When we talk about injustice we're really thinking about a very specific kind of sin where the bible describes it really as the abuse of power to take the good things that god intends for another away from them life and freedom and the fruits of their love and work flip that on its head and say this that the work of justice then and the work to which we as ijm are trying to enter into and that the whole of the church and i actually think the whole of humanity is invited into is to leverage our power Whatever that is, as an individual, as a business owner, as a spouse or family member, however you want to view that, to leverage our power to cause the good things God intends for others to flourish and grow in their lives. And in particular, of course, I think the church is called to do that for those who are most vulnerable. Um, wow. and, and, and so th- that really is our work. That's what we were trying to do with Kumar. But I, I would also say, um, and going back to that, good news about injustice is that we're watching it work not only for the lives of individuals but at scale uh is there any examples of someone who was a um slave owner coming to faith in christ and saying i i'm not doing this anymore i mean wouldn't that be a incredible day right I, I will say um, it's not the easiest question for me to answer. I suspect you would be able to get a clearer answer from some of our, our colleagues in the field. I will say that we know many, many survivors, including Kumar, who mm-hmm. has come to Christ because, you know, inevitably the, the question comes out to aftercare workers, why in the world are you doing this for me? And yeah. they answer. I do know, and this is more anecdotal than, you know, sort of being driven by hard data or anything but i do know that um in one office in particular where um there was a a justice conference in one of the area where children were enslaved in an industry and they were really calling them out and and one of our local church partners was really helping us do that uh that a man stood up in the middle of the thing and said i i own a boat i i i have like you know, multiple kids in, in, in bondage, I'm going to release them. I'm going to tell my friends they have to do the same. I suspect there's much more than that, but I I will say that because of the nature of our work, um, that is working with the justice system, um, when, when that perpetrator enters the justice system, our focus in terms of the restorative process is really on the, the victim. Um, and, and, yeah. you know, we, 
I, I think a part of it is simply that we are one link in God's redemptive chain in these areas. And so I, I feel like what we've tried to do throughout our history is stay in our lane um, yeah. and trust that the other places are going to be cared for. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, you put even five unjust business owners together in whatever country in the world, and we will come as convene and we will help them understand uh, that God has a, a better way. Absolutely. But, yeah. you know, uh, I was thinking of the verse Isaiah 117, which I mm -hmm. know is probably part of IJM's uh, um, um, thinking. Sure. Where the Bible and the, the prophet Isaiah says, learn to do good. Right. Seek justice. Mm. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's case, etc. So, Right. If I'm uh, American or Canadian, uh, North right. American business owner, European business owner listening to this podcast, mm -hmm. and I might say, well, listen, you know, I'm I'm following the laws in my country. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do about it. Right. They are supposed to do something about it, right? Sure. Yeah. I think we all have a role to play. And I think that, um, you know, one thing I didn't mention earlier is simply that sort of in a nutshell that I, I talked a lot about the sort of victim and the restoration of the survivor part of what we're doing. And we alluded to the fact that everything on the ground that we're doing is really in partnership with the local system, because our goal is really about building in capacity and restoration to that system. That means working with all kinds of partners, right? So everything you think of as the justice system of the, um, the police, the prosecutors, the judges, helping to build up capacity, helping to provide expertise or training or companionship so that they are really owning the weight um, and able to do the thing they are established to do, which is to protect their people. It's also, though, a partnership with um, multiple sort of actors and constituents within the community, from civic community leaders to business leaders to the local church. How are we sort of moving and leveraging all of those forces to protect the vulnerable. I, I say that because I, I really do believe that the work of justice takes us all, takes all of us, I should say. And so that for a business owner in, you know, in the U.S., yeah, I think, of, of course, a part of our responsibility. And I, I would say that, I, I think that you would say that um, the standard for those, uh, for your members in convene is obviously, uh, sure, don't break the law, but obviously you're asking questions that go beyond that. And so I, I do think one really important thing is to, to sort of take that um, question of justice and injustice, to, to ask yourselves as a business owner, are there times when our own workplace may be uh, whether that's internally in our workplace or our presence in our community, are there any places where our power is actually being used to take things away from somebody else? Um, or uh, that obviously the other way is in moments where we're really wondering about strategy, when we're wondering about places we're going to invest next, when we're wondering about everything from, you know, layoffs to the next 10 years of vision and strategy for our businesses, how are we leveraging our power and influence to cause goodness to flourish for our workers, for our community, for our world? I think those are often different lenses that are really helpful to add on to our other 
strategic lenses that we're making those decisions about. I would also say that, you know, from the investment side, there is a very real and important effect of um, investing in places that are um, intentional about trying to clean up supply lines and trying to actually adhere not only to the standard of maybe the U.S. state where they're headquartered, but what happens in the field. And so kind of doing due diligence on the places we're investing, that actually really matters. Um, we're, we're watching over the last years, corporations really step forward to partner with us directly to help examine and eradicate trafficking from their supply chains. Um, and yes, this is, I think, driven by the um, sort of moral ethical vision of some of those corporate leaders, but it's also driven by the reality that, that um, they don't want exposure to that because it hurts the bottom line. And so all of that's fine with me. It, it all, everything that's moving us in the, in the true and right direction. So I think we have power as investors uh, as well. And then I think the other side of it is, is you know, in addition to the sort of questions we're asking as individuals, as, as businesses and investors, I really, I also think it's where are the places that you can invest in real kingdom change um, that you can have confidence are effective. And so, you know, the, the supply line side of things, the corporate side of things, that is incredibly important in eradicating labor slavery. But part of what we've kind of already covered is the, is the reality that when there is just a total lack of accountability on the ground, it is so easy to interrupt that process. So just one little illustration. I hope it's helpful. It was incredibly helpful for me. Um, just in terms of needing both sides. So, um, you know, on a, uh, on a charcuterie board, uh, the little pickles, the gherkins. Okay. Um, when you look at a jar of those gherkins sitting on your grocery store shelf, next time you do, be reminded of the fact that um, we were told at one point that somewhere around 7,000 different farms, small farms, would have fed into the supply chain that provided that jar of pickles in one particular store. And each store has its own different, you know, each brand, I should say, has its own different supply chain. The reality is, is that um, from the from the sort of corporate side alone, you can't police all of those things. You need partners on the ground who are actually bringing um, a safe and stable business practice on the ground, taking away impunity from perpetrators and protecting um, vulnerable people who are also the workforce in that place. Those sort of combined efforts are what's really going to bring sustainable change. And so I'd, I'd say also really look for the places where you can invest um, the fruits that God has entrusted to you and, and entrusted to your stewardship uh, to invest in real change. Cool. Well, I, I want to give a shout out to somebody that you know, that I know, a yes. uh, former convene member before they moved to a city where there was no convene. <laughs> That's Blythe Hill, uh, who started this idea in her sort of mind. One day she said, what if I wore a dress uh, for the month of December? And I gave all the money that my friends supported me for wearing this dress to uh, sexual trafficking, human slavery, et cetera. Right. Blythe Hill and Dressember has raised millions yes. and millions and millions of dollars for trafficking. Yes. And we're pretty proud of her as a convened member. 
as you should be. She is a dear, dear friend and partner of IJM and has been a part of, again, leveraging whatever influence she has to really bring resources to the fight, um, to really, you know, bring, again, not only rescue to little into like to little kids individuals like kumar but actually seeing massive scalable reduction of trafficking around the world in whole communities she has been a long partner in that fight sweet well uh we're talking to business leaders they're yes. probably saying well is this just an ideological discussion or has there been some results and there has been some results you've tracked since 2014 talk about sure. that yeah, and that I, I would just set it in the context of that everywhere we work, it, we are driven by data because ultimately we want to make sure what we're doing actually works. Our goal is to be able to leave because we're not needed. Anymore. Um, and so we are not looking to implant a sort of temporary U.S. solution into a, a different system. That's not what we're after at all. Um, in our offices, I think about 98% uh, of the workers are national to that uh, office. Um, and what we're trying to do then is, is check everything we're doing to make sure it's working. And so I know that you and I talked about one of the instances, which was at an office of ours in South Asia that we've been in in a long time, working in sort of low scale industries of, of all sorts, many of the one kinds that we've we've mentioned already. Um, and we've we've actually been there, I think it's, I, I want to say it's like 15 years or something. So it's longer than this. But in 2014, a, a, a study was begun. And, and our studies and data are all either done by or verified by external sources. And this study ended up showing the kind of result that we've actually seen now in multiple places around the world, that when you can end impunity of perpetrators, when you start to build up societal community confidence within a functioning justice system, what you see is a dramatic drop off of the, of the crime. And then as that crime starts to go down, as the violence starts to go down, and you see now a system that is able to support victims in a trauma-informed way, that's able to keep accountability of perpetrators, that's able to continue to build this confidence, you see this cycle of a more and more effective and sustainable justice system. And so in this office, um, the, the one you're referring to, it was an office that was focused on labor slavery. And um, in those uh, eight years, the study was completed in 2022. What we showed was an 82% reduction in labor trafficking. Now wow. that IJM was a big part of that, but a part of, again, of our models partnering all over the place. So this was other NGO partners who had adopted the model. These were uh, robust and, and courageous uh, uh, police and government forces really joining in this work, all to, again, accomplish this 82% reduction, which taking it out of only numbers and talking about human beings, what that is actually, what that actually means is that over the course of those eight, eight years is that 380,000 human beings were moved from slavery to freedom. Sweet as a part of this whole collaborative effort. And so that's, that's really what we mean when we say, you know, we, we rejoice in the story of Kumar, but we're also 
in so encouraged to see this change happening at scale. And again, we've seen that now in multiple places around the world where we've seen between a 72 and 90% reduction in the crime that we're working on. And much more important, or maybe as importantly, I should phrase it, is that there's now a sustainably um, strengthened justice system, which starts this sort of flywheel right, that, that makes the other work of justice, the other work of aid groups, investments, the work of the church to, to really build a flourishing in these communities. And that's, that's really what we're after. That's amazing. Well, if somebody's listening and they thought that their, um, their good work here in North America for making sure their employee benefits package was strong. Sure, sure. And they've now heard that there's no employee benefits in some of these places. As a matter of fact, slavery is multi-generational. Mm. Uh, it, it includes um, horrific things and horrific working conditions, 20 hour days, rape of daughters and mothers and mm. just unspeakable things. And they're saying, I'm feeling like that Isaiah verse applies to me. I should sure. seek justice. I should let justice roll down, right. uh, as, as Martin Luther King Jr. said. And yes. so, so what should they do? Where can they go? Uh, you have a website for us to connect to. Absolutely. I mean, our the reality is for us, as we look at this next season of vision, as we've really seen this model work, our next season of vision is really driving towards saying, okay, how do we actually scale this? Because again, what we are really about is protection. We don't want the crime to happen in the first place. We want future generations to not deal with the reality of slavery as a force in, in human affairs. It may exist on some level, but we really believe like we can, we can actually affect sustainable dramatic change. And so when we think about our next season of vision, we are really aiming at the protection of half a billion people, which is a huge scaling of what we've done. We are going to need uh, partners uh, who walk with us. And that's how we've gotten this far, honestly, is, is um, courageous, generous, wonderful partners who've walked with us like Blythe um, and, and who have walked with us in this. And so uh, I would just say, if you're interested um, to, to, to dig in deeper, to learn more, uh, we would love to have a conversation with you. You can go to ijm.org slash connect. And you're just going to give us, there's a ton of information on our, on our website where you can dig in. Uh, but there's also just an opportunity to, to give us your name and email so we can just be in a conversation if you're interested in that. I promise I'm not going to show up on your front porch or anything. Uh, it really is about uh, having a conversation around what partnership could look like. Great. Well, Jeff, it's been, um, uh, oh gosh, what do I want to say? Eye-opening to hear mm -hmm. all these stories, but I think appropriately so, because we can't be uninformed. We can't turn a blind eye to what God very clearly is not okay with. He, he's not okay with it at all. Right. And uh, so, if you're listening and you are a person who's never heard of Convene, we are a place that says we want you as a business owner, as a leader in your company, to be a person who understands the kingdom of God is about justice and is about value and dignity and worth for employees. And when you love on employees, 
which is completely the opposite of what we've been talking about for half an hour. But when you love on employees, you actually get better performance from employees. Uh, the Harvard yeah. Business Review, Harvard Business School studied it, and they call it the service, service profit chain, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. when you love on employees, you get better results and better performance. Right. And uh, when you don't, you don't. And what you're talking about, frankly, is a horrific, aberrant, terrible, awful uh, version of the Harvard Business Study that when you enslave people, you get no results because you 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 are confining them to slavery uh, to the to the detriment of their very lives. Absolutely. And so, uh, what IJM is doing is bringing these cases around the world, these 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 countries around the world, to a place that is right and true and good and just and beautiful and i i applaud you with it so mm -hmm. uh, if you want to find out more about ijm as jeff has talked about ijm.org backslash connect if for some strange reason you've never heard of convene and you're interested in, if you're a ceo or a leader you should go to convenenow.com mm -hmm. and we look forward to talking to you thanks again for coming on jeff uh, it was such a pleasure we're just so excited to be in uh, friendship with you all so appreciate the time Thank you.